Welcome to Nameless Debate Radio, where radioactivity is contagious. You can join us in broadening our minds on the Nameless Debates Discord via the link below, and even feature here yourself, if you've got what it takes. An empty cup, for no reason, because I'm going to dump the water out when I'm done. I know, right? It's like you're going (laughs) to dump the water out to inspect the cup. Why even bother filling it up? Exactly. Dude, really good metaphor right there. So... On like a interesting wavelength, my uh, uh, you remember my buddy with DPC uh, with synchronicity and all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, I just tagged you on Facebook in a fairly interesting uh, exchange between us. And yeah, yeah, like uh, I do think that there's going to be some really interesting overlap. Like I posted an article today from one of the kind of enlightenment authors that I enjoy listening to and or reading rather. And uh, Joshua came in with like a really good analysis about how it was kind of like a superficial, uh, not very deep idea, but the premise was cool because it's the idea of like mining gold from the shadow. Now there's like a little mm-hmm. bit of, there's value in there essentially. And, you know, that invariably led to us talking about uh, his idea of synchronicity. And I think I'm getting him over into the space where we can start to at least think about it in terms of transcendence and omniphysics and, you know, a few other uh, synonyms that will get into some foundational basis that you and him have already gone over a little bit. So uh, I see some alignment happening, to put it vaguely. Man, I'm hella keen for that. I, I really liked. I really liked the conversation that we had. I want to get him over here, dude. You gotta invite him. It's just like I, I'm not sure if he'd be interested in the uh, in the interface. It seems like seems like it's confusing for us old fucks. Maybe you could come up with a little step by step guide for old folks like you. <laughs> Here's how you can do it if you're a. Uh... Uh, Silver Fox. <laughs> I mean, it's a it's a really really awesome platform, you know. It is. I've only recently like I got invited to another server, right. and I didn't even realize that like you you have to be invited to servers, right? Yeah, yeah. You can't just like peruse through them, and it's like walking into a, a room. No, you, where you people can are. peruse through them. There's a couple of websites where people advertise their servers. Uh, like Discord is one of them. What is D-I-S- it? D-I-S-B-O-A-R-D. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's, it's like, um, you know, a board of Discord servers, basically, <laughs> where they, are like... They, are there, like, philosophy hmm? ones? Like, yeah, there's other philosophy ones, yeah. That's what we should do, then. Like, go talking. Definitely, definitely. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, I think that would be cool. Mostly I don't do it because um, it's, you know sort of a waste of time for me to go to other servers and talk because I won't be able to get a recording of me or anything, you know? True. Um, the exchange just sort of becomes white noise, especially if I don't get anywhere. Um, yeah, it's hard to but, like just walk in and slam the foundation down and be like, hey sure, guys, sure. stand here with me and let's talk about this thing that I'm mm-hmm. standing on. Um, but I definitely, look, I'd be definitely interested in um, like setting up like a local recording or something and then, um, you know, especially if you were interested in doing it with me, we could both go over to a different, couple of different servers, and you know, get get a get a dialectic going. That would be interesting, dude. And I mean, we'd probably have to find ones that were 
maybe a little bit more specific to like epistemology or ontology, uh, metaphysics I perhaps. I reckon the philosophy servers that I'm on would probably cater to the um to the tone of what we what we want to talk about sufficiently for us to talk about it there. Dude, actually, I was thinking about a thing earlier about how uh, I might have a difference of opinion that I just imagined that it may not be an actual difference. Oh, uh, yeah? Shall, shall I spit it at you? Of course. Okay. So we both agree, since we share the same axiomatic basis, that a universal morality is possible to articulate. Yes, in principle now, at least. In principle, thank you. So in, in the, the principle of us kind of going back and forth and mapping out the words that we're using to describe this universal morality, uh, mm -hmm. neither of us has really taken it upon ourselves to do that sufficiently. Mm -hmm. But I nonetheless have faith that we could do it given the amount of time and you know, the motivation to do it. Definitely. Now, what, what I think stands in contrast to that is that if we don't do that, then the actual possibility of us claiming that there is such a thing as a universal morality, just because we can potentiate it between ourselves, uh, that isn't apparent to others from the outside in uh, until we do something of that. I'm not sure that I accept that, but keep going. Uh Okay, so this is where I was like, I think this is where we might have some, some difference to like, uh, weed through. Mm -hmm. yep. So I, I look at it and I go, I, if I don't accept that the potential for us to articulate a universal morality is possible, I just reject that proposition and instead look at the fact of the matter that no such thing sufficiently exists with which I can point to as an object of either writing or a recording, mm -hmm. then no such universal morality uh, possibility presently exists anywhere other than in potential, loosely configured between our brains, if you will. Hmm. Continue. Okay. <laughs> so if, if I'm being honest, since we haven't written anything about it or recorded anything about it, mm -hmm. the fact remains that no such possibility exists outside of our minds. I'm confused by the way that you're using the word possibility. Because if we weren't talking about it, it wouldn't be possible to people from the outside in thinking about um, it. What do you mean by possible? Uh, I think data logic is a neck necessary prerequisite for even starting such a such an enterprise yes but if we agree that data logic is at the basis of reality then whether or not we're talking about it or know about it is irrelevant as to whether or not something is possible right that's where i'm a little indifferent about because i think that it's it's a little difficult to take the project of universal morality um in the appropriate mindset, as it were, like to not be overzealous with it is what I'm thinking. Mm -hmm. if, if the kind of data logical axioms are not there underwriting the seriousness with which one would even need to employ in order to start, you know, writing them out. Because to come up with data logic on its own, just, you know, out of your ass, if, 
if you just started writing about universal morality, I don't mm -hmm. think the idea of it would occur to the person that started that intention, as it were, ethically speaking. Like, I don't think that ethically minded people would think, well, how do I justify the foundation of everything that I'm asserting so that ontologically and epistemically, all of my words are in perfect alignment with an objective and subjective distinction between reality and perspective of reality. And therefore, how do I garner the necessary persuasion to enhance others that I would need to get their agreement to form this intersubjective union of sorts? Well, I mean, don't you think that the second bit of the statement that you just made sort of like denounces the first because you just said, well, like, how could I do that? And the only mm. answer to that question is to figure out how people can agree, right? Nice. Okay. Continue, actually. Okay. So, like, you're saying, like, you don't think that um, the people who generally consider coming up with a universal morality to be concerned with ontology, is that right? Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, let's think about Kant, though. Right, because Kant actually approached it in exactly the same way that I am. He just made a mistake near the end. I and, agree. Um, and his essential like idea was, okay, so you have to qualify the world properly. And if you can qualify the world properly, then you can like describe a, categor a categorical imperative, right? Yeah, precisely. I think there's actually lots of Kantian um, style thinkers in the modern day. I I've met quite a few of them um, that might be and... where i'm lacking then brother because i i don't know that i have and so that might be a part of my well i think the problem is that most of the people who think in the style that Kant did don't accept his uh they don't conceive of it the same way that he did so what they think is mm. well because subjectivity is transcendental um mm. you know morality is arbitrary that's basically the sort yeah. of reasoning that they take yeah, and like um, I don't agree with that because of no, I don't the, agree with that either. And I don't think that Kant, yeah, I don't think Kant would have agreed with that because the whole point that he made was that, um, like, based on the fact that the subject is transcendental, there is a transcendental law that governs all action, right? Yeah, that's a pretty good yeah. way to put it. Mm -hmm. And I think that you know, there's definitely some truth to that. I think that the first premise is wrong because reality is not fundamentally subjective, but. Ultimately, right. the way that he was conceiving of the subject as transcendental um, made as its consequence the proposition that there would be some um, universally held principles. Mm -hmm. And he, the, yeah, so I'm saying, sorry, go. Well, I, I think that those principles are derived from acknowledging the kind of biological mechanisms that underwrite everything that is doing the figuring. Mm -hmm. So, like, and, and in one way, like more to it than biology, right? Oh, absolutely. Like, and that's just like the starting point for most people's kind of incision mm -hmm. into the problem. Mm -hmm. Like, you cut the body to open up what's what its organs are inside. And I don't know why I'm going for a surgical analogy, but uh, my idea is that, like, you. Uh, well, hold on. I'm too many ideas are coming to my mind right now. What I wanted to say more along the lines of is that the mistake that he made is the same mistake I think I made that you helped me correct in that uh, it seemed as though he, he was trying to be upfront or transparent with his assumptions in a way that invalidated them in the final analysis. Like he, it's as if he thought that the, he called them paralogisms or they were like, uh, 
gosh, he had a really good definition of it that I'm not able to recall. Paralogisms, like, like imaginary logic is kind of what it seemed like he was getting at. Mm-hmm. And constraining the imagination accordingly allowed him to arrive at a unique vantage point of his own process of metacognition of the categorical imperatives that he was entertaining. So like, I I remember thinking when I first read a little bit of uh, the critique of of pure reason or however it's worded that if you could put possibly even a finer point on it, like all of the instances where the category of theft to be specific arise in an event within nature between two or more people or entities or whatever agents uh if and only if that um instance of theft pertains to this circumstance so the circumstance of let's use it as uh, an axe murder knocking at your door asking you the truth of whether or not anyone else is inside and you uh Actually, this conflates a little bit of lying and uh, stealing. Um, shoot, I messed it up. Let's say the axe, it's a thief instead of an axe murderer. <laughs> and if no one's home, uh, he will rob you. And if someone's home, he won't rob you. So if you lie about it, you save yourself from being robbed. And if you don't lie, you get robbed. Uh, if you lie about it, what, by calling out no one's home? Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's kind of a weird hypothetical that I'm coming up with here. But what I'm trying to think of is that like, there's a way that you could actually parse that hypothetical in real terms where it's less imaginary than I put it. And if you were to get every detail of that specifically, every instance of that categorical imperative um, analysis, shoot. You're right, buddy. I know, dude. You, you guys have been too rough on each other today. You got to knock first, okay? And ask. It wasn't even. It wasn't even locked. Mm-hmm. Just because it's not locked doesn't mean you're invited in. Are you guys okay, Dante? Okay. So I'm doing a chat with Matt, okay? Let me, uh, a chat with Matt. Will you guys get along for me? Okay. I think Dante just wants some alone time, Sai. Well, maybe there's some morals that we can extract from all this. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, let me see if I can recapture my point. What I'm getting at is that, like, we can only categorically resolve those instances that are specific rather than general, because the general opens up too many hypotheticals, in my opinion. So it's like the the intensity of the imperative needed to be dialed up just a notch, and then turned back down, and then everything that he was saying was, as you put it in another recording, like a, a improvement on the golden rule, essentially. Mm-hmm. 
So sorry, I kind of got us out into the bush a little there, but that's okay, man. <laughs> Thanks for at least hearing it out. Yeah, you're good, dude. Um, I'm just trying to track what you said. All right, so okay. Um, hmm. it was a little choppy for sure. So when you said it, you can't, ha you can't, cat like. You can't use the categorical analysis on the general. Is that, it is seems, that yeah, it's, that seems to be my contention with it. And you can, but then it ultimately comes into, well, let's put it into a real world term. And in those real world terms, if you're even looking at like an actual historical event where as many of the facts are known, I think you could only conclude in hindsight what was categorically imperative or not at that point. Otherwise, it just it, it encounters, I think, too many hypothetical variables that uh, make the generality just a useful tool in discerning whether or not you can or cannot make an imperative out of that category of circumstances. I'm having trouble tracking what you're saying. Let me um, see if okay. I... I, I think so I, what is what is the general in this in this um, in this like, in this sense yeah. like let's say generally speaking it's not okay to steal okay so you're saying that doesn't work because it um, ignores the nuance of real life is that correct precisely thank you for simplifying okay. that yeah I follow that um, <laughs> all right so so then what were you saying about Kant again? That it's as if he, um, he kept his analysis. I, I haven't read the whole works because it was, it was too dense for me to get through. Mm -hmm. And I felt as though I, I grasped what he was getting at in a way that I, I could at least ask appropriate questions. And I think that's mm -hmm. what I'm kind of presenting to you is some of my assumptions and questions that I have on it. Uh, the... The video that I sent was kind of like a, a thing that I felt Kant and I both shared in terms of like he, he made a mistake that wouldn't have been made had he had looked at everything that he was doing with the categorical imperative just from like one degree lower in his analysis. Would, I, th he think, I think he would have encountered data logic if he had done that. I think that, yeah, I think that's probably accurate. Okay. And so seeing as how he didn't, it's as if everything that was hypothet hypothetically kind of potentiating itself to him caused a bedazzlement of his entire, you know, framework mm -hmm. that distracted him from the fundamental answer that was underwriting uh, all of it, really. I think definitely that's part of it, but I think another part of it is like, um, like I had... Uh, you know, Einstein had created the theories of relativity by the time that I approached the problem. And, mm -hmm. like, that's directly where the idea of relativity being the foundation came from, because it, it's not even... That's not my idea. That was actually Kyle's idea. Like, I mm -hmm. was thinking about the problem, and, like, I, I was, like, trying to have a look at it. And initially, when Kyle said the thing to me about relative nothing and nothing and whatever, and absence and the relationship yeah. between... I actually, I wasn't tracking him at all. I couldn't follow him. And then, like, months later, I came back to him, and I, I had 
grounded myself more in what he was trying to talk about. And when yeah. I asked him about it, he told me what he thought. And I was like, okay, wait, I actually do understand that. And so what he was saying was basically like, you know, um, it's not a leap to say that relativity is um, like fundamentally involved in reality because Einstein has already demonstrated that is the case. Do you know what True. I mean? Oh yeah. And so definitely. like Kyle just made that simple observation. He said, okay, so relativity clearly is involved. Mm -hmm. And then he like gave me his analysis of how it was involved. And I was like, okay, I see what you mean. And in for a long time, my analysis of how it was involved was pretty similar to his. Like I elaborated quite a bit more. Right. Um, and I, I had to like, what would you say? I had to excavate the idea because he just so, he just sort of had the he uncovered the tip and he was like, look at this. And yeah. I was like, okay. Cool. And so like I uncovered the rest of the mountain. And after I'd uncovered the rest of the mountain, it occurred to me um, that like it was it was upside down. I, I'm not too uh -huh. sure how. Like maybe maybe it was like on an angle or something. So we thought what 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 we thought was the tip was one of the corners. Yeah. Um, you know what I mean, but like for sure, what we what we had found was true, but the way that it looked was very not true. What was you know disorientingly, what I mean? ex we encountered it in a disorienting way, like you said, it was well, upside down. It's interesting, right? It's not exactly that it was disorienting. We encountered it in a way that matched perfectly our orientation, but the thing is that mm -hmm. that wasn't how it made sense. Right, it, it had to be kind of flipped on its head in order to exactly. Yeah, you get, had to take the. Um, the the mental metaphor that we use to um, grasp the world out of the equation. You have to say, okay, I understand that this is very useful to think, but is it true for this? And the answer is no. And then once you realize that it can't be true for that, the answer basically presents itself to you on the spot. It's like, okay, yeah. well, the reason that that isn't true is the exact way that it still works, right? Because mm. the fact that nothingness can't exist in order to cause things actually is the answer right like yes yeah. there's, there's nothing more to it like it should send a cascade of realizations that ultimately make you go ah oh, i never looked at it that way and exactly uh if it doesn't do that i i sometimes wonder about either the delivery or the recipient and i i can't help but just put it into that binary because it seems as though maybe maybe it's true that there's something uh, that's being said by us that's being mis like structurally misconstrued by the recipient. Uh, I think I could put it in like computer terms, like as if we were trying to uh, install a new game on an old uh, operating system. It would just it just wouldn't even load or something like that. Mm -hmm. So. I, what do you think about that? Like, is like obviously I, we can always improve our language in some way, but at a certain point, the hardware of the recipient kind of comes into question. One sec. Yeah. Hmm. I'm thinking. What it's more like is it's more like you are adding a mod to the game that relies on components that were added in a later patch. Mm. That seems a bit more detailed, too. Right, because it's not quite like... it's n Because when you try to run an, uh, 
a new game on an old computer, you have to upgrade the hardware. I wouldn't say we do upgrade the hardware exactly. What we're doing is we're saying, okay, you, your hard like everything is almost right. You can't use this like add-on which would change the way that you view things. You can't use it because you're missing a couple of patches, right? You mm. have it, for instance, let's say the epistemology patch. You're missing yeah. that one. Yeah, you totally. need you need that patch, right? And it's like, yeah. and then and then there's like, um, all right. So then there's um, objectivity versus subjectivity in terms of like whether or not science is the best method for demonstrating things, right? And it's like, okay, um, people need that patch because today, right, everybody has the science patch, and the science patch is really really effective for doing things. Mm -hmm. But it's also it also sort of like clouds your view in terms and of what it does indeed because mm -hmm. like you use the science patch to look at the science patch and you see it through the lens of science and you don't realize that there is another way to see it because of how useful the science patch is precisely same thing with the pragmatics uh that same exact mm -hmm. frame of reference i think is almost the philosophical equivalent to the science frame of reference yeah absolutely yeah and i think that they're almost um they're almost indistinguishable, really, because the scientific frame of reference is uh, an elevation of utility in the, yes. in the way that the pragmatic, the pragmatic theory of truth would dictate, right? Exactly right. So, okay, so that all tracks well. Now, trying to see how I can get this back into a little bit of the space where I think I was probably using a little bit too much uh confusion or i was weeding through some of my own confusion on it and mm -hmm. i appreciate the simplicity or the simplifications you're you're helping me uh kind of find that's okay man i mean i, I i'm just trying to understand you i wouldn't be able to otherwise <laughs> yeah i dude you and me both right <laughs> <laughs> uh like the thing that i really appreciated though about like Kant's attempt at getting to the heart of universal morality was that he thought he obviously thought it was possible to technically use language or use language in a te technical way so as to assert the rightness or wrongness or truth or falsehood of a situation. And mm -hmm. I think we share that same uh, drive or impulse or it, it could be, very well be a virus. Like, I cannot stop thinking about this type of thing because my opinion is that if we do the problem of politics and the problem of subjectivity, it kind of starts to lose its hard edge where most people kind of cut themselves on that edge. I don't, think, I don't think it has to be so, so violent or deadly at, at a certain point once some of these things that we end up talking about, the seriousness kind of can dissipate from the technical space. And I think that seriousness is there largely because there's this factor that you and I have kind of confronted in each other in that I just want to track what you're saying and try to figure out and understand you because A, I value you. B, I know that you've helped me in more ways than, you know, I can count on all of my appendages. And when we afford at least that amount of respect, that's like, I consider that like basic uh, civil decorum in many respects. It's like benefit of the doubt-ism. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, 
that that in and of itself allows the space for figuring out what's right or wrong with the present moment's perception because right or wrong is already a misuse of language we, we don't really have to use those terms we could use harmonious or discordant and there's yeah there's still other words that we can use that would be synonym synonymously approaching that paragon's edge of distinction but look at all the work that you and i've done over the past couple of years it's it's mm-hmm. like we still haven't written all of it down to make this universal morality um, explicit but nonetheless we've talked about it enough to at least potentiate it as a no guys you should you should try to at least help us figure this out because we we do feel like there's something uh, there's something to the consistency that you are exacting here and i do think it's you that is exacting it because i've tried to be at that same level of um logical is kind of what it seems like it's the same level of logic that you have naturally i i'm striving to get to that level of um distinction and it does it just doesn't exist for me in the same way because i'm i'm a little bit more artistic yeah absolutely man but i think like that's part of what makes the conversations between us so productive right is because like you're talking about it in the way that someone who um can't quite pinpoint why they're right talks about it and then yes. um and then i'm the opposite right it's like i can't really explain to you in colorful language what i'm talking about but i can tell you exactly what it is and then when yeah. we talk about it together we reach this like uh happy middle ground right which is like it has the uh characteristics of uh artistic and visionary expression but it still maintains the uh, rigor that is required to be making sense of the world in a technical For way. For sure. Dude, and that's what I like to use with Antony. We've unified that apparent opposition between uh, the colorful and the direct, let's say, or the, uh, the visionary and the logician. And it's... Uh, hold on one sec, dude. I gotta handle these kids. Oh, good, dude. All right, dude, sorry. So yes, that, that's essentially why I use the word antinomy because uh, like Terence McKenna used the word coincidentia oppositorum. And I think that's a cumbersome way to say uh, a coincidence of opposites. And it's not really a coincidence when I look at it. Like there is no such thing as that. I still view it as um, like a deterministic necessity that each word that comes out of my mouth that corresponds to the i guess uh linguistic interpretation device in your brain and then that it comes back to me in a way that is um if we both just are simply making sense to each other that in and of itself doesn't seem like a coincidence it seems like we've cleared the stuff that would make that process problematic Mm-hmm. Definitely, if it like uh, persists in continuity over time, right? Then it's like much more compelling. Much more compelling, because like you've helped me 
alleviate, let's say, uh, some of the persistent, I think they were like even grammatical uh, errors where I would, I would end sentences with like, you, I forget what it was last, but you helped me kind of look at it in a different way. I, I would say of or from a certain thing instead of, yeah, I would say meaning from. And you're like, why, why do you keep doing that? There's no, like yeah, you're yeah, either exactly. meaning something or like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you're right. Why do I keep springing from this word in a way? And that was a, what we could call like a unconscious um, movement that I was neurotically in some ways doing because I didn't realize I was doing it, but it's like someone's tapping their foot or shaking their knee nervously because of whatever reason is making them anxious. And you, someone puts a hand on the knee to calm it. That's essentially what was happening in metaphysical terms to the things that were, you know, going on in my own mind. So thanks for that hand on the knee, so to speak. Yeah, no worries, dude. I love helping you out with stuff like that. It's, it's really useful. So now let's see. Um, To the point of contention that I was trying to have, uh, does it make a little bit of sense, though, to see how, like, in my, in my springy way of doing things wrong unconsciously, I have this question of whether or not I can give myself the level of confidence in asserting a universal morality mm -hmm. in the same way that I've heard you do it? Mm-hmm because of those same unconscious mechanisms that I'm still like, you know, bringing light to. And in doing so, I haven't found anything within myself that languages it in a way that isn't as complex as I'm putting it to you to make it simpler to someone that wouldn't have the same, I guess, rapport that you and I have developed. Okay. So I think that like, it sounds like what you just said then was that, um, uh, like, in order to assert that you, there is such a thing as a universal morality, um, you'd have to be confident that you could articulate what it was. Is that right? To a to a person other than you. <laughs> okay, but um, let, let me put it to you this way, right? Okay. Um, if what you're articulating isn't a universal morality, right? Uh-huh. Then someone else can point it out to you. Isn't that accurate? Yeah, yeah, that is accurate. And so, like, and if someone else points it out to you, and you both of you agree about the fact that you aren't articulating what one might call the universal morality, doesn't the fact that you have agreed on that sort of imply that there is such a thing? Holy shit! I didn't think about it that way. Right, because like, if you can agree with the other person that you haven't met the standard then in principle, there must be something that would meet the standard. Or if there isn't, then treating the issue in that manner would then meet the standard. Mm, that's right? it, because to, to think about it in the sense that there is no such thing as a universal morality, that could well be the thing that you denounce if that were the case. Hmm. So I don't see a way around there being such a thing, because even if there weren't such a thing, then the correct manner of behavior would be to act as if there weren't. And if everybody did that, would that not be the thing that we're saying isn't there? Hmm. I got a little lost in that last part. Mm -hmm. But Okay, so... Yeah, go ahead again. again. When someone says... Um, 
that's so let's say let's say it's not possible let's say that the universal morality isn't possible right okay then we would say that everybody should act as if the universal morality is impossible right yeah yeah so saying everybody should act as if x is a moral injunction so if everybody should act as if the universal morality is impossible, then isn't there a universal moral injunction, injunction to that effect? Wow, man, this is starting to uh, bring up similarities or ring bells to uh, Stefan Molyneux's universally preferable behavior, mm -hmm. which is an attempt at a universal morality from the point of view of preference. Mm -hmm. And that if we prefer to have... Uh, something like if we prefer truth to falsehood and we're, we're engaging in a process of truth discovery, then that makes the preference of truth in a higher priority than that of falsehood. Yeah, and absolutely. if someone disagrees with you, they're demonstrating performatively the that, agree. yes, because they're trying mm -hmm. to correct you. That's exactly then, what I'm saying. Yeah. Okay, cool. That makes that makes pretty good sense then, actually. Yeah, right. Like if, if someone tells you that you shouldn't be saying there is a universal morality, that's an appeal to the thing that you are saying is there. Because how <laughs> who who are they to tell you what you should or should not say, right? Yeah. And if they're if their like response is, well, it's just not true, then they're saying, Well, because it's not true, everybody should agree that it's not correct to do. And then mm -hmm. again, we stumble upon the universal moral injunction that we were talking about before, because if we are all like if we are all obliged, let's say, to treat what's true with the highest priority, then treat truth as the highest priority is a universal moral injunction. It has to be. Dude, I love that. That, that sounds righteous as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's what I mean, right? I can't see a way around it because if it were possible to disagree, right, then you either are disagreeing in the sense that the universal morality says that you're allowed to have your own opinions. Do you know what I mean? Or you're disagreeing in the sense that other people should share. So it's not your own opinion. And if other people should share it, it all of a sudden gets encompassed into the thing that we're talking about. Yep. Wow, man. So yeah, I'm not too sure. I'm not sure how to get around that. Whenever I try to consider, okay, maybe there isn't a universal morality in principle. I come up with this proposition. I go, okay, if it were the case that there was no such thing as a universal morality, then it would necessarily be the case that everybody should treat such a concept as ridiculous. But if everybody yeah. should do anything, then the concept can't be ridiculous because we just like referred to it. Right. And is there any way to equivocate there and be like, well, not everybody, it's whoever you know, like, but like, it, it seems yeah, incoherent, saying, right? Yeah. I, I mean, like if we're saying like the reason that, um, we can't put forward the proposition that there is a universal human morality is that like P you know, um, is that not everybody holds the proposition that we should all adhere to truth to be the case. Mm. Don't you think that those individuals think that that proposition is true? Yeah. Like, they're adhering to their own personal truth. They're just like making a distinction between that and what other people think is true. Right. And because you can't like, there's no way to, to conduct yourself in relation to not truth. Right? Like, how do you do that? Yeah. And most people can't even fathom that that would be 
a, a state of mind for them to occupy because everyone mm -hmm. acts as if they are right. Like everyone thinks exactly. when they're opening their mouth that they should in some way. Otherwise, they wouldn't course, be doing yeah. it. You wouldn't be saying something if you didn't think it was true. Yeah. Oh, man, this is like really helpful clearing up. Because I felt as though like what was lying ahead of us was this bound volume of, you know, equal or greater length than the categorical imperatives uh, of mm -hmm. Kant and all of the, <laughs> just all the technical I think it should be a lot simpler than that, though. I do, too. I think if it's not able to fit on an 8.5 by 11 paper, that it's not worth repeating, ultimately. Like it has but that to doesn't be... necessarily mean that the working is going to be simplistic. No, the work is what I think you and I are toiling over now. I was able to put the, the axioms of data logic into a tweet. Two tweets, mm -hmm. actually. That was Did you have my... to break it up? I had to, yeah, and then I added a Damn. little bit because of it. But I was trying to get it into one because it's 280 characters, and if you can do that, that's, I, I mean, that's being concise. How far over was it? It was, the, the whole second axiom didn't fit. Oh, damn. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I, I tried to, you know, shorten whatever I could of it, too. But it two, the two combined tweets was, you know, it was close enough. And <laughs> uh, to me, that's the kind of uh, simplicity that I think uh, truth is ultimately attracting our minds towards, in a way, because... It's, it's not, to me, it's not finished until it can be translated to children. And when children can take it, it can sprout fertile in the minds of, you know, unbroken humans so that we don't have to constantly repair uh, human beings that are broken and adolescent and beyond through addiction and misdirection and miseducation and so, like there's so many things that happen to human beings that are just off base is one way to look at it you're liking them right now <laughs> yeah dude i'm gonna retweet them nice yeah they, that was that was a fun exercise and that's what i want to do uh axioms of universal morality like we can find a way to get this so that it can be put into terms that like any any average like blue collar worker could understand or uh, like I think that's the task of philosophy to find technical and accessible mm -hmm. to uh, the masses and then find a way to put it into their language because uh, I mean I, in many ways I think you and I consider ourselves to be somewhat blue collar I know we're both yeah, not rich. <laughs> so there's, there is commonality in the ground we're standing on. And it didn't, take, it didn't take you long. It took me longer to get to where I'm at today than it did for you. And I think of how it hopefully won't take as long for my kids to reach these same conclusions. Yeah, I agree. I think... Um... I mean, I was pushed into it to some degree, you know, so yeah, <laughs> that's fair probably enough. why that's probably why it was quicker for me. But I think that now that the, um, let's say, what would you say, uh, architecture of the, of mm. the thing that we're trying to describe has been 
um, like conceptually defined. It shouldn't be so difficult anymore to um, to translate what we're saying into terms that will always make sense. Yeah. Instead of terms that make sense to the people who created them and the select few who are around them, I want to bridge that gap and create terms that you can understand even if you've never heard of them before. Right. And that's sort of what we're aiming at, right? Absolutely. I think that's what you and Dark Master have been working on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, man. And this might be a good uh, segue out because I got 10% battery and yeah yeah. Mm -hmm. 